Today's scripture comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good afternoon. <clears throat> My name is David. I'm a pastoral resident at the church here. I'm no, no longer the newest staff member, but I did just start at uh, the beginning of this month uh, to help with CGs and also Sunday morning uh, worship things. So I'm super excited to be with you all here this morning. Um, did you know diamonds are formed by undergoing a pressure of about 725,000 pounds per square inch heated at a temperature of over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, 100 miles underneath the Earth's surface. My wife, Mifeng, and I are coming up on our two-year anniversary, and when we got engaged, I learned a bit about diamonds. We visited jewelers and learned all about the four C's. Maybe you know them. There's cut, color, clarity, and then, of course, carrot. I also learned that in the 70s, people started producing imitation diamonds made out of cubic zirconia. And if you don't know what to look for, or if you don't look closely enough, these imitation diamonds can actually look quite real. They can have some of the same sparkle and shine. But the thing is, they're not real diamonds. They're made out of an entirely different uh, material and in an entirely different way. And as a result, they're worth a fraction of the value. They can still make nice jewelry, but they don't carry the same value. They may look like real diamonds, but they're not. We see something similar in Philippians 3. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, and he, and he warns them about this group of people who thought they were following God and even looked like they were on the outside, but whose religion was nothing more than a facade. So this passage is important for us today because it tells us what it means to be a Christian. What is Christianity all about? How is it different from other religions? How is it different from a secular worldview? Why does that matter? And if you've been a Christian for years, this passage is important for you, for you too because it warns us of some subtle dangers that can lead us astray. So let's look at the warning in verse two. And then in verse three, we'll see the answer to the question, what is a Christian? So first, the warning, verse two. Let me read it for you again. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You might not recognize it at first, but each one of these phrases is actually full of ancient irony and insult. So first he calls these people dogs. Now my wife and I used to live close to a dog park in Philadelphia, and we would visit there sometimes because it had a nice big open grassy area. We could soak up some sun. But that park wouldn't have existed at the time that this letter was written. Dogs were hated by the Greeks and Romans and were considered religiously unclean by the Jews. So to call someone a dog was extremely offensive. And to call a Jewish person a dog was ironic because the Jews would call Gentiles dogs. So Paul uses this language to say that these Jews whom he's warning us about, they're the ones who are actually godless. They thought they were God's people and the Gentiles were dogs, but they were the ones who were unclean. 
Second, Paul calls these people evildoers. And it's obvious how that's insulting, but there's also irony in this phrase, too. Paul is probably alluding to places like Psalm 5, which says that God hates evildoers. The Jews Paul is referring to would have prided themselves on carefully obeying the works of the law of Moses, of doing the law, and would have seen themselves as the righteous ones over and against the evildoers in Psalm 5. But Paul turns that around and says that they're not the righteous ones in Psalm 5. They're the evildoers. They're not doers of the law. They're doers of evil. And lastly, Paul calls them those who mutilate the flesh. For us, this is probably the strangest of, of, of Paul's insults. He's actually referring to their circumcision. See, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to be circumcised as a sign of his covenant with them. Like baptism in the New Testament, circumcision was a sign that you were part of God's people. And so the Jews Paul is warning against thought that since they were circumcised, it must mean that they were a part of God's people. But Paul says their circumcision is not actually a real circumcision. It's a mutilation. And in doing so, he's probably alluding to a law in the book of Leviticus which prohibits the priests who serve God in the temple from cutting their flesh like the pagan priests uh, like priest did. And so these people thought that their circumcision meant they were part of God's people. But Paul says they're actually like the pagan priests, prohibited from worshiping God. They thought they were circumcised, but they were actually just mutilating their flesh. It's a very vivid insult. Like cubic zirconia, it may look like the real thing, but it's not. So this warning in verse 2 is about people who thought they were following God, but in who, who in reality were religiously unclean, evildoers, and fake. Jesus warned us about this when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. We know these kinds of people. When you look at an imitation diamond in the light, it's obvious it's not real. A real diamond sparkles and glows. We can tell when someone isn't genuine. As a culture, we hate this kind of empty religion and hypocrisy. It's part of what makes Christianity so distasteful to non-Christians. But this is also a stern warning to those of us who consider ourselves Christians. Being a Christian is not just about coming to a service or praying and reading your Bible. There were people in Paul's day who did all the right things, but who were inwardly dead. And the same is true today. So what is a Christian? Look with me again at verse 3. Let me read it for us again. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And that's a bit of a strange thing to say, we are the circumcision. What does Paul mean by that? Well, again, he's using irony. He says that this group of Jews who we are to look out for, they're not really circumcised, they're mutilated. But we, on the other hand, we are the true circumcision. He says something similar in Romans 2 that will help us understand this passage a little bit. If you turn to the first page of your bulletin, it's actually on the bottom let me read this for us. It's from Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. 
For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. These people Paul warns us against misunderstood what circumcision was. Circumcision, like baptism in the New Testament, was meant to be a visible representation of an inward reality. A visible representation of an inward reality. It's like a wedding ring. So Mifang and I gave each other these rings as a sign of our promise to each other. But the ring itself means nothing if there's no promise behind it. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a visible sign of God's promise to bless his people. But if there was no heart-level change, then their circumcision was nothing more than a mutilation. There must not only be the sign, but also the inward change. It's possible, uh, it's possible to coat metals with a thin layer of gold and make, for example, a gold-plated necklace. But just because the outside is gold doesn't mean the inside is. Being a Christian requires a heart-level change. It's inward, a matter of the heart. A gold-plated necklace is not the same as a pure gold necklace. Christianity is not a gold-plated necklace. Christianity is the transformation of one metal into gold. So when Paul says, we are the circumcision, what he means is that we are the true people of God. We're the ones whose hearts have been changed by God. And he gives us two characteristics of a Christian, two characteristics that evidence a changed heart. So what is a Christian? Well, first, a Christian is someone who worships by the Spirit, and second, someone who boasts in Christ Jesus. So first, a Christian worships by the Spirit. Verse three, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to worship by the Spirit of God? Since we've already seen that this passage talks about the importance of inner heart-level change, we might think this means something like inner spiritual worship, like singing from the heart in contrast to merely mumbling words without considering their meaning. But the second part of verse three shows us it's more than that. Worship by the Spirit is in contrast to putting confidence in the flesh. So it's worshiping by the power of the Spirit in contrast to worshiping God by our own strength or efforts. That's why we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Worshiping by the Spirit is recognizing that nothing we do can get us to God. In fact, we can't even worship God if we're not empowered by his Spirit. So you could actually pray to God every day, do good to others, you could come to the service every week, but if your heart hasn't been transformed by the power of God, then it's all just gold plating. It doesn't make us gold. Christianity says that we can no more easily worship God by our own strength or effort than silver can transform itself into gold. Without the Spirit of God working in us, all our religious actions are just an empty facade. And that's a pretty radical idea. 
You know, we like to think that there isn't much we can't do if we put our mind to it. If we study hard, we can get good grades. If we work hard, we can do well and succeed in our career. You get out what you put in. And if you explore other religions, we'll see that you'll see the same thing. It's about what we do to get to God. But Christianity is not about what we've done. Christianity is about what God has done. A Christian is not someone who thinks or, or meditates their way to God. A Christian is not someone who earns the way to God based on the good that we've done. A Christian is someone whom God has sought and brought to himself. A Christian is someone who recognizes that it's not by our own power or anything good in us that we come to know God. It's only by his grace and power. The imitation diamond says, look what I've done, God. Look at how good I am. Look at how hard I work. You must accept me. The real diamond says, look at what you've done, God. Look at how good you are. Please accept me. It's relating to God not by what we have done, but by what he has done. You see how freeing that is? All that pressure to perform is gone. As the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. But here's the problem. Worshiping by our own strength, saying, you must accept me for what I've done, can look very similar to worshiping by the Spirit. It can look like a real diamond. On the outside, a gold-plated necklace looks like a gold necklace. And it's very easy for even the most mature Christian to slip into this imitation diamond mindset. So consider these questions I'll, I'll read to you. I've taken them from a book called Center Church by Tim Keller. And they can help you see if your heart is tempted to relate to God based on what you've done instead of what he has done. Do you pride yourself on how hard you work or how moral you are and look down on those you consider immoral and lazy? Or do you remember that it's only by God's grace that you are who you are? Are you furious or crushed when you're criticized? Or do you remember that your identity isn't based on your performance or on what others think about you? What about this? This is where my heart sometimes goes. Do you feel confident about your standing before God when you think you've been pretty good and ashamed or distant from God when you sin? Or do you remember that you're at once sinful and lost yet accepted by Christ? Does that make you both humble and confident in your standing before God? We need to constantly remind our hearts of the gospel, that we don't come to God by our own power. We worship by the power of the Spirit of God. That's the real diamond. But know this, this is important too. Because the difference between worshiping by our own strength and worshiping by the Spirit is primarily a difference in heart, we shouldn't just throw all our religious practices out the window. It's good to meditate on God's word, to worship together each Sunday, to be involved in the community group, and to strive to love God and to love others. The practices aren't the issue, our heart is the issue. 
So worshiping by the Spirit doesn't mean we shouldn't be faithful to these things. We should. It means that when we do these things, we do so recognizing it's not by our own strength or moral rigor. It's by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. What is a Christian? A Christian worships by the Spirit. Secondly, a Christian boasts in Christ Jesus. But isn't boasting wrong? Aren't we, told, aren't we told in the book of Proverbs, do not boast about tomorrow? In December, my grandfather celebrated his 90th birthday. My wife and I flew to Chicago for the party, and my grandparents were just thrilled to introduce us to all their friends. The kind of boasting that Paul has in mind here is a little bit like the way my grandparents introduced us. They're proud of us. They're not boasting in themselves. It's not a display of, of self-confidence. They're boasting in another. And in a similar way, we boast not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of Christ. The ESV actually translates this phrase, you'll see, as glory in Christ Jesus. We glory in Christ Jesus. And we can understand what is meant better when we look at the next phrase of this verse. Look at verse three again. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and then here's this part, and put no confidence in the flesh. The people Paul is warning us against boasted in the flesh of their circumcision. We are to instead put no confidence in the flesh. It's a clever way to say that we are to put no confidence in our own ability or in anything that we've done. If we come to God because of something we've done, then we have a right to boast. But Christianity says no matter how hard we try, we can't work our way to God. In fact, our own actions keep us from God. Instead of seeking him, we've sought to live how we want to live. We've thought that we know better and have willfully rebelled against him. And as a result, we, we don't deserve good from him. We deserve his wrath. A Christian is someone who says, there's nothing in me to boast about, but I boast in Jesus Christ, God who became man and lived perfectly and died the death that I deserve. He's the one who deserves my praise. Like the hymn says, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. And maybe you're thinking, well, this sure sounds pretty unhealthy. No self-confidence, isn't that a, a recipe for disaster? But here's the thing. If all your confidence is in yourself, first of all, that's a lot of pressure. That causes a lot of stress, and that stress affects probably not only you, but also those around you, maybe even those that you love most. And second, if all your confidence is in yourself, what happens when you fail? You lose all that confidence. Sometimes that can even lead to depression, substance abuse, even suicidal thoughts. If that's something you're struggling with, I'd love to speak with you after service. A Christian is someone whose confidence is not in themselves, but in Christ. And that actually allows for a whole lot more confidence. See, if your confidence is in yourself, it'll go up and down with your successes and failures. 
But if your confidence is in Christ, it's unwavering. God never changes in what Christ did so that we can be with him is already accomplished. He already lived, died, and resurrected so our confidence can be secure. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. A Christian is someone who boasts not in themselves, but in Christ. It's the difference between humility and spiritual pride, pride in our own morality or our own religious faithfulness. And this isn't some distant thing that we're immune from if we're Christians. In fact, we might say that the less worried we are about this pride sneaking into our heart, the more worrisome it is. C.S. Lewis wrote, if you think you're not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. So especially if you found a lot of success in school or your career or whatever, you need to watch your heart in this. This passage warns us about those who think they can earn God's blessing because it's an ever-present danger. Boasting in Christ changes our relationship with him. Probably you or someone you know grew up with a manipulative father and mother, a parent who withheld their affections to get what they wanted. A manipulative person only gives their love when we please them. That's a painful relationship that can have deep, long-lasting consequences. That's not who our Heavenly Father is. The Bible says that God showed his love for us and that even while we were still enemies with God, Christ died for us that we might have life with him. Our God is a good father who gives his love freely. We don't come to him because of our own striving. We come to him because he has striven to be with us. And so we boast not in our own strength or goodness. We boast in what Christ has done on our behalf and put no confidence in the flesh. And now we strive to please him not out of insecurity, not because we feel the need to earn his love or his approval, certainly not out of pride. We strive to please him because of how he loves us. We delight to please him. We boast in him. We glory in him by living our whole lives to please him. Boasting in Christ changes our relationship with him and boasting in Christ changes our relationships with others. Instead of only talking about ourselves or or putting others down in order to lift ourselves up, we can be genuinely interested in others. It makes us more socially aware and, and better listeners. It makes us better parents because our kids are not our greatest boasts. They're not proof of our ability to parent. Our sense of worth is not tied to them. And so instead of putting all that pressure on them, we're free to love them no matter what choices they make. Here's another way it changes us. A little uh, while back, my wife and I started watching the show called The Mindy Project. Maybe, maybe you know it. It's about a doctor living in Manhattan. And as we were watching it, I found myself sometimes looking down on her for her her lack of self-awareness and her lack of commitment to her boyfriend. But that's really just ridiculous. This is not even a real person. I mean, this is fiction. <laughs> and yet here I was judging her. 
But if we're boasting not in what we have done, but in what Christ has done, then we won't be looking down on others because we'll be looking up to Christ. Boasting in ourselves makes us prideful and divisive. Boasting in Christ makes us kind and generous towards others. It makes us better employees and coworkers because we're not working to make a name for ourselves. We don't boast in ourselves. Instead, we recognize that all our abilities have been given to us by God. And so we use those abilities to make the world a more thriving, just, and beautiful place. We study hard in school not for recognition or for security. We study hard not for what we can get from the world, but for what we can give to the world. Boasting in Christ frees us from living for ourselves. We don't need to work to earn anything from God. We don't need to prove ourselves to him or to others. So instead of living for what we can get, we're free to live for Christ and for others. And if we boast in Christ's power, then we won't consider anyone out of his reach. So we won't dismiss or, or speak badly about our friend or our coworker or, or whoever who seems like they'll never love God. Instead, we'll see the power of Christ who raises the dead to life. We can do the same thing when we stare into the reality of our own sin. We don't need to ignore it. We don't need to feel discouraged or despaired. Instead, we can look at our sin right in the eye and declare, he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. A Christian is someone who worships by the Spirit of God. And so secondly, we boast not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus, the one who alone can bring us to God. Our confidence is in him and what he has done for us. And that's the gospel. That's why this issue is so important. If we think that we have in any way earned God's blessing or that we deserve his blessing because of good we do, whether that be coming to service or, or seeking to do good to others, if this kind of thinking sneaks into our understanding, then we've rejected the gospel. That's not Christianity. It's a bit like if I saved up and spent all I had on this big, expensive diamond. But when I give it to my wife, she wants nothing to do with it. She says, oh, you know, actually, I just prefer this $10 cubic zirconia diamond better. You know, I like it better. God offers us the real diamond, the grace of the gospel that says, although nothing we do can get us to God, Christ has made a way. It's by his power, and so we boast in him. In a world of imitation diamonds, we need to guard that truth in our hearts. Christianity isn't for the strong, but for the humble. Do you feel weak this afternoon? Do you feel like you can't keep up? Maybe your job is exhausting your relation, or your relationship with your spouse or your partner is strained. Maybe you feel like you're failing as a parent. 
This is what Jesus says to you. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Maybe you feel convicted of spiritual pride, of, of trying to earn God's blessing. Is that exhausting? Give up grasping for God and instead come humbly to him in faith. For God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. God, thank you for making a way for us to have a life-giving relationship with you. Thank you that it doesn't depend on what we do or don't do, but on what you have done in Christ. May your spirit be alive in us, making us to worship you. And may we boast with all we are and all we have in how great you are. Amen.